going to read. <laughs> I'm going to read with you two um, two parts of the Bible. The first is John 20, verse 30 through 31. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And also, Ecclesiastes 11, verse 7 through 12, verse 8. Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. But let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. You who are young, be happy while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. So then, banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are meaningless. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. When the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few, and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint, when people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred. Then people go to their eternal home, and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, everything is meaningless. This is the word of the Lord. Let's say a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you that we can open your word now, have it proclaimed. We pray, O oh God, that your spirit will move powerfully, move our hearts, encourage us, feed us, direct us, lead us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we just read a very heavy text, you could say, about the breakdown of the body, the dissolution of the body. It's compared to a, a silver cord that is severed. It's compared to a bowl, a glass bowl that is broken. You could say of a glass jar that's just broken on your floor. That's the life that he's talking about when, we, when it approaches death. It's a sobering, sobering reality. And his response to that is, that is that it's meaningless. It seems to be so meaningless. And the word there is vaporous. It seems to be so vaporous, so empty of purpose. The short brevity that we call life. But as I was preparing this sermon and, and thinking about those days, 
Those days actually immediately before life ends. When you have to say goodbye to loved ones. See, sometimes the Lord gives us this opportunity to be able to talk to people, to talk to our loved ones just before they depart from this world. Maybe a day before, maybe a week before, maybe even minutes before they leave us. And I wonder this morning how you characterize those conversations, those end-of-life conversations, if you've been able to have one with a loved one. And I think the way that you characterize those conversations is this. You say that reality just strikes you in the face. When eternity is facing a loved one, that you're watching move from this world into the next, you move past the frivolous very, very quickly. You move past the inconsequential very, very quickly. You get to what's really, really, really important. And what's really, really important in those final hours? Well, what's really, really important in those final hours, of course, is the finished work of Jesus Christ. His death and his resurrection. His, his covering up of your sins and, and, and the restoration of hope and life in his resurrection. You, you funnel, you direct everything to that point. If you're a follower of Christ, that's all you want them to know and to be reminded of. And if they're a follower of Christ, that's all they want to be reminded of. Everything else will fade away very, very quickly. But they're going to meet Jesus face to face. And so the question that you ask implicitly in that reality is this, are, are, are you prepared to meet your Lord? The soul is going to be, go back to the one who created this soul. Are you prepared to meet, meet your maker? Now I get it, Solomon didn't have a Christology that we have. I've shared it before as I preached the sermon, a sermon from Ecclesiastes before that really Solomon is the substitute teacher. He didn't have the full curriculum. Jesus is the real teacher who, of course, fulfilled the curriculum. And, and, and he didn't understand fully that, that Jesus would, would die and rise again also for his soul. But he shares enough to cause us to kind of pause and say, what does he want the reader to know before he finishes off this last chapter in this book? Well, I think he wants us to get real. He wants us to get real. Real with life, but also real with death. And so this morning I want to just hit that message of let's get real, and I want to look at three things, three reality checks, you could say. Three reality, reality checks to ask the question, um, are, are you real with this reality? Have you come face to face with what it means to live in the brevity of this life and face death shortly? Here's reality check number one, are you enjoying God's good gifts? today. That's reality check number one. We'll just start there. In the reality that we're here, but for a short time, are you enjoying God's good gifts for you today? You see, the, the teacher is speaking about the breakdown, the dissolution of the body, and it seems that he is speaking about his own journey. It seems that he's in the twilight years of his life. And he's watching this, observing that his life is ebbing away. It's very, very short. 
And yet what you will notice right from the very top, that he's not talking to octogenarians, people who are 80 years and above. He's actually addressing the youth. And you say, well, pastor, is he addressing me? Am I, am I in that age category called the youth? Everybody wants to know. Don't you want to know this morning? Well, basically, here he goes. You are youth if there's not a disconnect between the mind and the mirror. If there's a disconnect between what you see in the mirror and what's going on in the mind, everybody will tell you that as you get older, your mind stays young and your body just starts to fall apart right in front of you. If there's that disconnect between the mind and the mirror, just, just know that you're not part of the youth, okay? If you're tethered by all these burdens in life, you're probably not youth anyway. But actually, you know, the Bible, interestingly, doesn't actually provide a, a, an age category for youth. So I'm going to put you all in the age category of youth this morning and address you as youth. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. But what's, what's the point? Why does he, someone who's about to face death and is in the last legs of his life, you could say, addressing the youth, because you need to understand that death is faced in different ways and approached in different ways. And there is a way to approach death that's a right way. And there's a way to approach death that's the wrong way. One of the wrong ways that society approaches death is actually this way, that they kind of live under the shroud of death. Their days become dark. They become bitter, cantankerous. They don't actually like to be around people. They're just angry with God or just angry with life. They're just angry with everybody. And so we make movies called Grumpy Old Men. That's one sector that deals with death, death un unwittingly. They don't want to deal with it, so they just deal with it as if it's just this dark cloud. And it is, but it embitters their soul. There's another way that the society that we live in, and maybe this is, characterizes your life, I, maybe I hope it doesn't, that we actually face the grave backwards. We pretend it doesn't exist. This is more common in society. So we talk about forever young, and we glorify youth, and we put these pictures up of what it means to live the best life, and it's always someone who's young and healthy and vibrant and strong and good-looking. And so we spend millions of dollars. In fact, we spend $140 billion a year across the world on just simply skin care. Now, skin care is good, but $140 billion, the GDP of the country that I served as a missionary was $9 billion, the GDP. And in the world, we spend over $140 billion, and it's growing at an increase of about 5% a year. How do I know this detail? I have no idea. But it's important that you know that. Then we get liposuction and we get all these different things to, to create the body. The body has to look young and has to look beautiful. What are you doing? You're walking backwards to the grave. And all of a sudden, you fall back into it. Like, what happened? And, and both of those, the bitterness and the denial is not something that the teacher is promoting here. He's not calling us to bitterness. The Bible never calls us to bitterness when it deals with the when we confront the grave. And neither does it call us to denial. That's one thing for sure the Bible doesn't do. But what the Bible wants us to do, what Solomon the teacher wants us to do, is to be prepared. It's calling us to be prepared. 
Death is imminent. This world is broken. And here's the first reality check. Are you living? Are you living in the sense that God has, has provided a place for you to still enjoy life in your youth? And he begins there in verse 7. He says, light is sweet, and it pleases the eye to see the sun. Let's talk about what God has done that's good in the days that we live. And one of the most precious things that you have going for you every day is the sun. They say it's the most costly gold in the world. And some of you would agree. When the sun shines, it warms your heart. Light is sweet, and it's a pleasure for the eyes to see the sun. But he continues, and he just wants you to understand, you know, this living um, in the joy of the present. He says, however many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. This is reality check number one. Are you enjoying the days that God has given you? Let them enjoy them all. Then in verse 9, you who are young, be happy while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart, and whatever your eyes see. And in verse 10, so then banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are, are vaporous. What's, 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 he, what's he saying? He's saying live life to the fullest right now, enjoy the strength and the vigor that God has given you. Carpe diem. Seize the day. Seize the passions and the joys that God has enabled you to have and live them out. They say that youthfulness is lost on youth, and that's true. Why is it lost on youth? Because they don't, they don't, they don't know how good they have it. If you're not encumbered by illness, if you're not encumbered by constant chronic pain and sorrow and sadness as a youth, Man, you have it good. Enjoy that. Enjoy that reality in the short life that you live. It's okay to enjoy that. Live out the joy of what God has allowed you to live out in the short few years that you have in this life. And so I'm going to ask you this morning, loved ones, are you enjoying the gift of the sun? Even this morning, I think it's coming out. Are you enjoying that? As it tracks across the sky, as you hear the birds sing and the leaves flutter in the wind, as you enjoy the gift of smell and taste and all those other gifts that God has given you, are you thanking God for those things that you get to have to enjoy the life that you're living? But you say, Pastor, doesn't he say in verse 9, at the end of verse 9, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Doesn't that really dampen the, the joy side of things in this life? That you know that everything that you do will be held kind of against you in the court of God's law? How do you enjoy life in this content, this context of, of, of judgment? How do you put those two together? I think there's two things that you need to pull from this reality. The first thing is maybe not so intuitive. The first thing that, 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 that God will hold in judgment against his people is, is, is when they don't actually enjoy the gift that he has given them. They don't enjoy it. They, 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 they don't see it as, as something that God has given them for, to enjoy. You know, there's a way to live a life of blessing joylessly. I think that's going to be held against us. You know, 
let's go right back to the, to the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, there was this sense that God wasn't as good as he said he was. That, that Adam and Eve kind of had this idea that God was withholding something from them, something that would give them ultimate joy. They, they, they saw the paradise of God as, as something of almost like an insult. God had blessed them with so many blessings, but there was one thing they thought that he was withholding from them, and it became an insult. And so when the devil came in and said, you know, you know, if you eat this fruit, you'll become like God, knowing good and evil, all that kind of stuff, and they're like, I'm in. I'm in. I want more. More than God has given me. More than the blessings that I'm called to enjoy right in front of me. I want more. You know, sin, they say, flourishes in the greenhouse of an ungrateful heart. I'll say that again. Sin flourishes in the, heart, in the, in, sin flourishes in the greenhouse of an ungrateful heart. They were ungrateful for the blessings that God had given them. And that's worthy of judgment. The Lord, as he built a relationship with his people through the line of Abraham, you can read this in the... In, 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 in Genesis chapter 12, and then his descendants. And after a while, his descendants became really, really big. They became a nation. And, and the Lord said, you know what? You want to live in my blessings? This is what it looks like, to live within the blessings that I'm going to give you. But if you don't do that, if you depart from me, if you don't live under the blessings I'm going to give you, you're going to experience the curses. And one of the reasons why God would curse his people, we find this in Deuteronomy 28, verse 47, is for this reason. Because you did not serve the Lord your God joyfully and gladly in the time of your prosperity. You did not serve the Lord joyfully and gladly while he was blessing you in your youth. God's all about our joy. And he wants us to use the things that he's given us for enjoyment. But here's the catch. It's not a catch. Here's the reality. That those good gifts that God has given us, the gift of life, the gift of smell, the gift of sight, the gift of hearing, the gift of friendship, all of those beautiful gifts that God has given us have to be put through a reality of honor before a holy God. Because, listen, if you take your life, the gift of your life, and you tether your life to evil, you spurn his good gifts with sin, God, of course, will hold that in judgment. Now, just, just a, a, a silly illustration, maybe, but an illustration that fits, at least for me and my family. I have a few kids in my family that really love hockey. And if I blow the budget and buy them two hockey sticks, because that's what happens nowadays. And they take these sticks, and I see them play on the street or in the hockey rink, and they're having fun with those sticks, using the gift of the hockey stick for what it's meant to, to play hockey, score some goals, make some nice passes. I'm celebrating. I love hockey. And they are celebrating because they're also enjoying hockey. But if they take those sticks, the gift of those sticks, and they turn on each other, and they start hitting each other with those sticks, they've turned a good gift into a weapon of destruction. And I have to intervene and call them out. And there's a penalty for that. When we take God's good gifts and spurn them and go against his holy will, 
There's a cost to that. Because you listen, there ultimately is no joy in God's good gifts to us when we sacrifice those good gifts on the altar of our sinful passions. You have to understand, there's no joy there. You see, you're not enjoying his good gifts if you lack a clear conscience because of sexual impurity or pornography or infidelity or premarital sex or fornication. All those things compromise the gift of sexuality which was left and dedicated for the marriage, for marriage. So when you take that and you spurn the gift of sexuality, you will feel the guilt and the shame surrounding that. The freedom, the freedom to enjoy God's good gifts in your youth or whatever your age is a freedom that can only be met when you're not giving license to sin. That's how it works. God's good gifts are enjoyed, listen, within the boundaries of his holy will. That's what Solomon is trying to tell us. God's good gifts are enjoyed within the boundaries of his holy will. And so that's reality check number one, really. Are you enjoying all God's good gifts to you today within the boundary of his holy will? Here's, here's reality check number two. Are you remembering him, your creator, today? Are you enjoying God's good gifts within the boundary of his holy will? That's reality check number one. Reality check number two. Are you enjoying or remembering your creator today. This may be the most known text, especially amongst Christians in the book of Ecclesiastes. Verse, chapter 12, verse 1. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. What's he saying? He's saying remember, that means meditate upon and obey the one who has fashioned you, who has created you and has covenanted with you. Remember him. And why in the world would the teacher want to tell the youth and tell you this morning to remember him in these days? Well, the only reason I could come up with that the teacher would want to remind us to remember our creator in the days of our youth is because we're prone to forgetfulness. The opposite of forgetting something is to remember something. The opposite of remembering is to forget. So if we have a problem with remembering something, that's because we're forgetting it. So then you have to ask the question, how do our young people, how do we as young people forget our creator? I think just three ways. Just briefly. The first way that we as young people forget our creator is through indifference to him. We're simply indifferent. Yes, he created us. Yes, he's Lord of heaven and earth. But right now, it doesn't really affect my day to day. In fact, I want to live life now according to the will of my heart. And right now, he doesn't really he doesn't really influence my decision making. In fact, for some people, for some young people, Christ is actually a real bore. To come to church is boring, to, to open your word is boring, to pray to him, it's just all boring. 
Remember, it says, remember your creator in the days of your youth because really you are in a cosmic battle. The intoxication of youth to pursue the desires of the flesh makes Christ look boring. But all that is is indifference to whom, to who he is. And it's, it's one of the reasons why our young people forget him. They're indifferent to his life, to his death, to his promises, to the reunion that they're going to have one day with him. Just indifferent. There's another sin of our youth, and that's this, not just forgetting him because of indifference, but actually more calculated sin of forgetting him. I think this breaks parents' hearts even more, though I think they're both in the same category. It's not... It's not in being indifferent to Christ. It's actually choosing to forget Christ because they don't want to believe he exists. They want to believe that the whole thing of Scripture is just one made-up story, a fairy tale for the weak. A young person who is strong and healthy, who's not battling with life every day, who has the ability to work and to play and to have fun, to think almost that they're immortal, begins to look at Christ as someone who's just unnecessary. And worse, someone that doesn't deserve our attention. It's more of a calculated forgetfulness. But there's one final forgetfulness that happens. So one's kind of an action of just indifference. And I see that amongst some of our young people, sadly. Some of it's a calculated one. Here is another one, and maybe it's connected to to the indifference, but I don't know. But they say, you know what? I want to live life now. When I get older, I will turn from my ways and I will turn to Jesus, but right now, I just want to live it up. I I actually kind of like partying. I know there's some weed there and there's some lots of drinking and, and music that's just not glorifying to God, but listen, I kind of like this life. I know that he exists, and one day I will turn and I will repent of my sins, but today I'm going to live it up. I can't tell you how many young people I buried in Papua New Guinea who had this idea that one day they would repent and turn back to Christ. They would say to me, Pastor Ian, by me tiny bell, not come back, Lolotu. So what did he, they say? They said, they said this. They said, Pastor Ian, I will repent and I will return to the worship of our Lord. But right now is not the day of my repentance. Because of the ravages of AIDS, because of the, 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 the violence in the, on the streets or in the settlements, and because of alcoholism, I buried so many of them. We said, one day I will turn and I will repent and I will become, back, I'll become a follower of Christ. That day never happened, not that I know of. You see, what the teacher wants to remind you as young people who can be intoxicated by the idea that you're young and almost immortal is that you're not. That you will have to face the grave. That you are weak. That you're but a mere breath. That you, one day you're here, tomorrow you're gone. Isaiah 40 verse 30 says, Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. Remember the, your creator in the days of your youth, because soon your strength and your vigor of youth will disappear. And some of the aged among us will say, Amen. I never expected I would be so weak when I used to be so strong. 
And I think that's why, that's why the teacher, what he does next in our text is powerful. He says, remember your creator in the days of your youth because the days of evil will come. And then he paints this path, this well-worn path to the grave. And he's saying, you have to follow, you also will follow this path. This is a warning to you. Some of the most poignant poetry in all of scripture is found in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 here. It's beautiful, it's powerful. We're just going to walk through this. This kind of well-worn path is like a trailer to a movie of our life. This is what's going to happen as you get older. Something of this will resonate with some of you even right now, but it will resonate with all of us at some point in our life. He says in verse 2, he says, Remember your creator in the days of your youth, first one, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Verse 2, Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark, and the clouds return after the rain. What's that? That's life living, living in the shadows. Notice that he said that? And the clouds return after the rain. Usually the clouds dissipate after the rain. But the clouds are there back again immediately. Why? Because when you get old or older, you wake up the next day and you're still not better. And that chronic pain that you're suffering for now days become weeks and months because the clouds return after the rain. Talk to anyone who's aged and say, when I was in my 20s, man, I could do this, this, this for 24 hours a day, and the next day I just bounce right back and do it again. I had so much strength. And then you get older and the clouds return back after the rain. And then he goes on, he just creates this picture of, with this metaphor of what it looks like when the body becomes weak. He says in verse 3, when the keepers of the house tremble, those are the legs of our body. They begin to grow weak. They don't hold up the body like they used to. So we need a walker or we need a cane or we need a wheelchair. And the strong men stoop. That's what you call scoliosis, when the back begins to bend and it can't go back straight again. When the grinders cease because they are few, those are your teeth. They didn't have proper dental care back then, and they would lose them quickly. And those looking through the windows grow dim. The eyes, the eyes, the eyes grow dim. When the doors to the street are closed, those, that's the mouth that used to speak and be so locutious or something. All of a sudden doesn't have much to say or even can't speak. And the sound of grinding fades. That's when the ears begin to not work well. When people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint, again the ears. When people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, you know, when you get older, you're, you're more afraid, and I sympathize with our elderly, um, of, of falling, of breaking a hip, breaking a leg, breaking... Whatever. So they're afraid to go out during the winter because of the icy surfaces. And, and, and fear just grips them. When the almond tree blossoms, that's, that's the hair growing white. And the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred. This is when the body loses its passions. And people go to their eternal home and the mourners go about the street. 
Say, Pastor, this is very depressing this beautiful Sunday morning. The Bible is not meant to depress us. That's not the intent of this passage either. But it is meant to prepare us so that we don't walk into the grave backwards. But that we face it with courage and with truth. It's a reality check. Are you remembering your creator in, this, in the days of your youth before this well-worn path that each of us will have to follow becomes a reality in your life and it is a reality in some of the lives who are here with me this morning or maybe listening online? Remember him. Remember him. Remember him in the chambers of your mind and in the deep recesses of your heart. Remember whom, to whom you belong. Remember your creator. It has been said, here's another reason why we want to remember our creator in the days of our youth. It has been said that your thoughts and your memories from your youth are the strongest memories or the last memories to go when you begin to fail physically and mentally. When the body begins to break down and the mind begins to break down, it's your time as a youth that's left an indelible stamp on your heart. I just want to challenge you young people in front of me and on the line to remember this Reality, And I love what James Russell Miller, a former Presbyterian pastor, said one day. He said, you are hanging, young people, you are hanging up pictures on the walls of your hearts every day through your actions that you shall have to look at when you sit in the shadows, when the eyes grow dim and you can't hear the things that are happening on the street. You are every day you're hanging up pictures on your heart. And then he says, how important then is it to live pure and holy lives? And God's people say, amen. Because many of us have hung up pictures on the, on the recesses of our hearts that we totally regret. And we know that we cannot remove those pictures. Many of those pictures happen when we were young. Every day. Every day, loved ones, you are hanging up pictures in the walls of your heart. And the sins of our youth are often the most regrettable and the most etched on those, on those corridors. So he's saying to the youth, don't, don't burden yourself that way. Those actions, those sinful actions, we're going to come back, and they're going to come back, and they're going to come back. So don't walk that path today. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. That's reality check number two. But here's reality check number three. I think you understand now that this is all playing itself out. This well-worn path to the grave that we're etching up pictures on the corridors of our hearts by our sinful actions that are going to come back when we sit in the shadows. If all of that is true, and it is, I think you understand that we have a desperate need for a Savior. And that's reality check number three, and I'm just going to finish off with this one. Do you understand, in the context of Ecclesiastes, in the context of this well-worn path, in the context that God's going to hold everything in judgment, in the context that you have to face the grave frontwards, do you understand your desperate need for a Savior? 
That's the point. You see, the teacher, again, it's a substitute teacher. What he does is lays out the facts, the reality that life is like this. And he goes right to its end and he says, remember him when before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well and the dust returns to the ground who came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Remember him before this reality becomes your reality. Because it will. But that's all he has. That's all the teacher has for us this morning to tell us this, this is a vaporous life. It's meaningless from that context. And your soul is saying, but I want more. Not only do I want more, I need more. I need a lot more than just the fact that I need to remember my creator. And the beautiful thing about the gospel is that this is not the end of the story of God's rework of salvation. That this is just one, ch one chapter in this whole story of the salvation work of Christ for us. That's why I can preach so boldly before you this morning. If all I had was Ecclesiastes chapter 12, I don't think I would dare even stand up in front of you. Because we need to remember not only our creator in the days of our youth, loved ones. We need to remember our savior in the days of our lives. Because you see, our savior bore our humanity. He came to live the life that we were supposed to live under the sun. And he did it perfectly. But he entered this hevel, this hevel, which is what we talked about in Ecclesiastes. This kind of life that is, is, is vaporous. He, he came to experience this heaven-like existence also for us. He chose to live the life Solomon calls meaningless in our text. And what's so beautiful about Scripture is that not only did he choose to live this life under the sun that's meaningless, that's vaporous, he did it with unparalleled love. Understanding our story, our humanity, our brokenness, and our sin. He chose to live this life out, not for himself, himself, but for us. And that's why he also chose to walk down that well-worn path to the corridors of the grave. For you and for me. We're talking about our Savior. And that's why he hung himself on, allowed himself to be hung up on a cross to bear the shame and the guilt of our youthfulness and every other day when we hang up pictures on our hearts that are impure, full of lust and full of greed and full of anger and full of envy. He knows what we've hung up on our hearts. So not only was he willing to walk that well-worn path to the grave, he was willing to walk that path to the cross to cleanse us from all of the impurities as we etch them into, the, into our hearts. He says, I will clean that off. I will clean that picture. I will clean that picture. And every other picture that you've hung up in your heart, he is wiped clean by his blood. That's our Savior. And not only that, if that wasn't good enough, I hope you understand that that's pretty good. He turns back the clock. He turns back the clock. 
The clock of Hevel, the clock of the curse, the clock of, of this life, this world, just turning to darkness. He turns back the clock and says, but I have come to bring you life. To bring you hope. To redeem this world. To make it new again. So never again in the history of the world and into all eternity can you have a book like Ecclesiastes that says life is meaningless and life is but hevel. You'll never read a book like that in eternity. He's come to turn back the clock. Maybe, just maybe he chose to die in his youth to rescue us from the sins of our youth. I don't know, but this I know, that his work of salvation is complete. And here it comes. Here's the reality check. John 20, verse 31. But these are written. These things are written. This story is written out for you, not just for the disciples, not just for the people of Israel, but for you this morning, for all you listening online. The stories are written for you that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name, not death, not hevel, not meaninglessness, but life in his name. You know, there's a way then in Christ alone to move between the chapters of your life, the seasons of your life, from vigor to weakness, from health to sickness, from light to darkness, even from life to death, there's a way to move between those seasons with confidence. By putting your faith in the one who has gone before you. He is your only hope. I'm just going to quote James Russell Miller one more time. He says, to have a peaceful and blessed ending to life, we must live it with Christ, he says. Such a life grows brighter, listen, such a life grows brighter to its close. Not in denial, not in bitterness, but actually brighter to its close. Just ask the Apostle Paul. The more earthly joys fail, the nearer and more satisfying do the comforts of Christ become. And for such a life, death has no terrors. What a beautiful quote. He is our only hope in life and in death. We're going to sing about that very shortly. I just want to encourage you members and you who are online, if you're in the twilight years of your life, maybe you say, you know, that, that, those youthful years are so long gone I can hardly remember them. I want you to continue to call out to him in the hour of your pain. To call out to him in the darkness of your room. Confess your sins, but receive his grace of forgiveness. He is very quick to forgive. And when the time comes that you have to say goodbye to this world, call out to him if you're able in the moment of your departure and know that he is with you. And as your eyes close to this world, and they will, they will open upon his face in the next. I want to encourage the rest of us who may believe that this day is a distant, distant future reality. 
remember your creator, notice, today. Remember your Savior today. Because today is the day of salvation, so remember him today. Surrender your life to him regardless of your age and of your vitality. You're not as strong as you think you are. You need a Savior for your soul. Surrender every part to him. He will be your rock, he will be your comfort, and he will be there through the seasons of your life until death do you part and you meet him in glory. But be prepared today for that future day. That's the call of the gospel. And this is the hope that we have in life and in death. His name is Christ. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for the gospel of hope. It's a very heavy passage. It's something that we actually don't like talking about. We don't like talking about this well-worn path to the grave. We don't like talking about what happens to the body. We really want to live life to the fullest without having to think about that, but, but you won't let us do that because you want us to be ready, each one of us, regardless of our age, be ready for our soul to go back to the one who created it. And Father, we pray that we will all be ready by the power, by the power of Christ in us. He is our hope and he is our glory. Lord, fill us with courage today, not with denial, not with bitterness, but with a longing, a deep-seated longing to meet the Savior of our soul who will make all things new. We long to see him. We long to be with him. And we long to praise him with a massive multitude of followers of him. In his name do we pray. Amen.